0: Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life each week new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms now here's your host first class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach kate fessler welcome to change redefining success i'm kate fessler my guest today is karen sands Karen is a leading gerofuturist Futurist and Thought Leader on the Future of Women Leaders and Entrepreneurs in the Longevity Economy. Karen is a bold advocate for the new story of our age, a visionary with wrinkles, an expert authority on the future of women, the business of aging, visionary ageless leadership, and Meeting the Greatness Challenge. A high-impact certified master and mentor coach and consultant trainer, she guides and empowers women to rock their age. Karen provides up-to-date, leading-edge trends impacting tomorrow's workforce, the shifting marketplace, and women's evolving role as confident, wild women leaders. Karen is an Amazon number one bestseller author of 11 titles, a firecracker speaker, and an all-around game changer. Welcome, Karen.
1: I'm thrilled to be with you, Kate. This is going to be a lot of fun.
0: I'm so excited to be talking with you today. As I was reading your book, The Greatness Challenge, I was nodding my head, even saying out loud, absolutely, you got that right.
1: Okay, that's good to hear. That's why it's number one.
0: Yeah, awesome. We'll get to the book in a bit. But first, I'd like to go back to Once Upon a Time, when you had a pretty successful corporate career. What did you do, and how did you get started on that path? It's an interesting story how I got started, and I want to
1: uh, put some context to it, because before I went into corporate, I had been a really breakthrough science educator back in the 70s. And um, that, I mean, at 22, I was a district school chairwoman for all the science departments in in, uh, California, in a a school district of California, not all of California. So I had a whole different perspective coming into where was my career going. I had, at that point, I um, then had two kids, and it was, oh, God, what am I going to do with my life? Who am I, right? What am I going to do mm-hmm. for the rest of that life? And right. I ended up, of course, that was the beginning. That was in the early, late 60s, early 70s. My daughter was born in 1970, my first child. Um, and so that was a very exciting time to be a woman, very exciting. And I started a women's movement that, uh, and center that had over 1,000 members in the first year of its existence. So it was a very, very super time to be around. Um, and I said, okay, if I can do this, Cause I was consulting all over the Northeast about building or creating rather uh, growth centers, women's centers. They started off as women's centers, consciousness raising. That's where I became a, a career coach, et cetera. Um, but then it was like, okay, what can I do with this? And so I became a serial entrepreneur. So I want, I just want that in context that I had all of that going in. And, um, Without a long story, due to that, uh, due to things going on in my personal life, I had to make a choice of what was I going to do with my business, or was I going to switch completely? And most of the women at that time that I knew and younger were just beginning to go to graduate school; just some um, were beginning to get MBAs. So it was really early on um, in, in women really entering corporate America. So I entered corporate America really out of necessity. Um, again, long story, very, very short. I was fighting an international custody case, which if you've mm-hmm. ever seen Kramer versus Kramer, the movie, uh, I think that was back in the eighties. Um, my situation with my kids was horrendously worse. So at that point, women being entrepreneurs was a no, no, it was not counted for much, especially where my kids had been taken to in Australia. Uh, there was no feminism in <laughs> Australia, not then anyway. Um, And so I was told that if I really wanted to win the custody of my kids, I would have to not be an entrepreneur, but actually bring in a salary. So it was like, okay, perfect time for me to switch gears. And although there was a lot of trepidation, obviously of do I, let me see if I can go into corporate and really do something even bigger than what I was able to do as an entrepreneur. And so for nine months, literally I interviewed with CEOs, this is before what color your parachute was at, um, with CEOs and um, uh, boards, people, and I said, okay, here I am. I'm a a line person, as in making money, bottom line, but I'm also a staff person because I've always been driven by causes. So where do I fit? So I learned probably 30 years of information on how to choose where to go um, from these people who were so, whoops, here goes the thunderstorms who was just phenomenally gracious, right? That got me to, I suddenly, after nine months, got all these opportunities coming to me. But I needed something where I could get up the ladder fast, where women were allowed to get up the ladder. And the one company that was doing that, really doing that in that time, was a financial services company, a very big one at the time, which I won't name at this point. But where I landed blew my mind. I landed in, pensions and retirement plans. I knew nothing about them, but I could sure tell a story about why I was the right person. And that's what women have to remember. We have, we're bringing so much in. We just have to repackage it and the doors will open. And that's exactly what happened. That's where I was trained as a futurist. That's where I learned all about, uh, the global age game that was coming and, um, all about retirement, et cetera. Um, It was a time for me to be a game changer. And the company, fortunately, because it was the era that it was, I was allowed to do amazing things that probably somewhere else I would not have been able to. It was an extremely important time. Um, I was a, a startup business and turnaround business executive. And I had free range. It was phenomenal. But there came a point where I realized I was, remember, I can see myself in the corner office. I had one of those corner offices we supposedly should go for. Um, My feet up on the desk, a fuchsia polished desk with, uh, um, I think it was uh, like a gold finish around on the edge. It was was very feminine (laughs) and very cool. And my legs are up and I'm saying, what the, you know what am I doing here? I have two kids I fought for years to get custody of. And the older one was going to college in a year. And I said, no, I did it. I got my kids back. I rose to the top of the heap. I have a big name in, in the whole financial services industry. I was breaking all kinds of, of, uh, of um, records. And I said, I'm over, I'm done, this is it, I'm out. I want to be back out again, and I want to be with my kids, at least before they both leave the house, right? And so that was a very big move, but I got to tell you, what a kick I got out of it after I left, um, because I had recruiters calling left, right, and center, and I loved saying, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Right? Um, there are days when I've said, oh, my God, did you give up a lot of money for that? But it was the best decision I made at the time, because what it's done for me is I'm able to see on both sides of the desk. I know the, the corporate side, the employee side, the leadership side, and I also know the hard road of an entrepreneur as well Mm -hmm. many times over so that's kind of how I got to where I am today really so I left in 1988 and again became a serial entrepreneur
0: so after you after you left your career and became a serial entrepreneur again something happened that made you rethink how you were defining success tell us what you went through
1: well, I think that was what helped me decide and redetermine what success meant for me because I had it all at that point sitting in corporate America. I mean, I was speaking in front of big audiences. I was uh, nominated to be Women of the Year of Direct Marketing. I mean, I had all kinds of things going for me. Um, I was a change agent. I had studied with Peter Senke back in the oh, late 70s, I think it was. Um, Um, on visionary leadership. So I was applying that in corporate America, my own version of it. I have been blessed to be with some of the greatest minds in America and the world that just, I don't know why I was meant to train with them and study with them, become protégés with them. So I had everything going for me. People thought I was crazy considering leaving. But I looked at what does success mean to me? It isn't just the bucks. It isn't just the recognition. I mean, all those things are wonderful to have, but it wasn't that. It was really what matters the most to me in my life and why I'm here, why I'm here on the planet at this time. So my, my own definition of success shifted. At the same time, while I was in corporate America, I was also uh, considered the leader of, uh, of, the, of the new leaders, <laughs> if you would. Uh, um, and so I was coaching them. And then when I left, uh, sorry, even before I left, I was coaching on the side, doing sort of a side hustle. And so I was hearing the same issues over and over again, almost the same ones I had heard back in the early 70s of not only who are we, but what does it mean to be successful? And why do I want to do this? So these questions were coming over and over and over again. And they still are. I'm still hearing that from clients that come to me. Um, all the I give. So it's not a new question, but it's a question that keeps getting re-asked. And I think the answers morph. And as we move into middle age and beyond, the definition of that success becomes even more important.
0: Yeah. And so I was just going to ask you, do you think that over time, um, no matter what business you're in or what career you're in, that there are times in our lives when we just have to stop and think, like, is this the right road for me? And what do, what am I focused on that maybe I should be focused on something else?
1: Absolutely. But I think it should start in, in junior high and high school. Well, remember, I'm an educator, so I feel very strongly that this kind of mindset and approach really should be starting way earlier, way, way earlier. Um and I think with millennials, it'll almost be easier than it was, let's say, when I was a kid or when you were a kid, because mm-hmm. their minds are so open as it is. Possibility to to new thinking. Um, so I think starting it earlier will give them the possibilities to actually do what they dream about rather than just dreaming and giving up.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that a lot of a lot of, you know, the kids these days <laughs> are mm-hmm. um, are starting out with that thought process that they really can't, you know, I was told, and of course, I'm sure you were told, oh, you could be anything you want when you grow up, mm-hmm. <laughs> even president right. of the United States. But but for women, for a long time, that wasn't really true. Uh, there were a lot of things that, and you were kind of at the forefront of that, mm-hmm. of, you know, moving yes. into areas that traditionally women hadn't necessarily been even allowed into, and I think a lot of people forget that when we look at all mm-hmm. the opportunity that's available now, but it it hasn't really been that long since there that opportunity wasn't really there exactly and i
1: i my oldest child is now, I can't believe it, I can believe my age, I'm actually very proud of it, but I cannot believe my daughter's age. <laughs> <laughs> so my daughter uh, in March has turned 47. And I can remember for years and years and years as an adult woman coming out of college and, and going into her profession, I kept saying that, you know, that, hey, this is transitory. It's so fragile. What we have is so fragile. We only just won this when I was a young mom. So don't don't take it for granted. And she did, of course, like most of the younger women I know did. And why shouldn't they? You know, everything was opening up for them. So, of course, they could have it all, actually. Uh, not that they could necessarily live happily ever after having it all, but they have the option for having it all. Now, now, especially in these times, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, women's rights and freedoms are in question. And so there it is again. You know, that that ugly head, that serpentine head that wants to take us down and keep us around the kitchen table, not out of choice, but out of force, is here again. So, yes, it was a very hard time. And women have taken it for granted. And thank God, because women have now moved in so many positions of power and into entrepreneurship. So it's really a good thing. But the wake up call, one of the most exciting things about what's been happening politically, again, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, is that women, young women, and old women are saying, "Hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you yeah. can't do this, you know we're in positions of power now, so you know all of that, yes, yes, very much. It's a very exciting time for women right now, even with the gray or black clouds around us.
0: yep, I agree now you call yourself a leading. Gero futurist What Mm -hmm. does that mean? Um, I love it
1: because people always ask me that question. So the conversation gets started right away. Um, what actually happened after I left corporate, um, I had been leading very deep dive soul work groups for professional and leader leadership women, women in leadership rather, excuse me, um, and women in between. And, um, I kept hearing things. And I also had some very amazing personal experiences, which led me to the field of aging because, um, well, I'll tell you one story. I was coaching a woman, a really hotshot superstar. She's in her 40s. She had two kids. She was divorced. um, And she was the token woman in this very uh, boutique, high, um, what do I want to say, high visibility uh, firm. Mm -hmm. And she had come to me because it was was clearly – You know, she was being treated like a token, obviously, Um, although she was a partner and she'd come to me after having some dreams that night because we were talking about where she wanted to be and being um, a major voice. I I saw her as a a, a major expert coming up the pike and. Getting her there was another story, of course. But out of this dream, she came in, and she was really, really, really concerned um, about how could she possibly be a visionary? How she, could she possibly be a visionary leader and an expert? She was in her 40s. How could I possibly be? I'm too
0: old. Oh, she's too old? So you, yes. Interesting. So,
1: yes. So you can imagine, right? So right there, I was going... Hello, look at this. Now, of course, I was already in the aging field to a degree, but not not to this degree with my um, coaching clients at that time, because it was all about leadership and, and success and entrepreneurship and life balance, you know, all the usual issues that still mm-hmm. work and still work and why are you here, you know, blah, blah, blah. But this was a different piece of it. And so the work I do, which is very, um, with many modalities i i don't call myself a one thing because of so many i bring in what's necessary for the person that shows up obviously and the issues that show up so in this case i used a modality um, in short form here which literally allowed her to take back her power over herself and over the different uh conflicting voices within her and i I won't go through what modality is although it's one of the fastest most exciting um, a deep moving uh, modalities I've really ever used, um, and and I use it all the time. But anyway, um, out of that though came this realization that there was this voice within her, an archetype that was patriarchal all the way, that was telling her, and literally yelled out in the middle of this session, right? You have too many wrinkles. You're too old to be a visionary. Huh. You can't make waves. All of this. So this went back and forth, and of course, as she began to separate from that voice, I could get her into her own visionary voice, and that's—it's a process. But let me assure you, I got her into that visionary voice. Wow. But what it taught me. Oh yes, def, very definitely. She is a major global speaker. And, consultant, etc. now, but um, in the world of soul and branding. So she's uh, quite unique and, and quite a special person. But my point is, what it got me to say was, so this is what's going on interiorly that I hadn't quite seen to the same degree before. And so it inspired me even further to keep tracking on who are we when we are no longer young. What does that mean? And what does young mean? What does old mean? All of that started coming together. So I went back to school in, oh God, what it was 90 something. Uh, oh, I know, 92, sorry. <laughs> but anyway, I went back to school to become a gerontologist. So I became a gerontologist. What I had to change in the field of gerontology and continue to do so is that growing older from the time we're born on this planet till the time we leave the planet, right, is not a disease. It, It may make us uncomfortable, but it's not a disease. It is just another phase of our wonderful lifespan and life course. So, but that's a big tricky thing to bring forward. Anyway, so that's how I got to be a change maker within the aging field. But if you recall, back in my corporate career, I had been trained as a futurist. So when I put those two things together, I always felt bifurcated. I'm sure a lot of women feel that who are multifaceted as I am. Um, I know not everybody is, but there are many of us who are. And I, I felt bifurcated or trifurcated. I had so many um, sort of passions and and, and um, gifts and skill sets and, and whatever that I needed to put them together so I could speak to this, so I could wear it, so I could embrace it. And so it just came to me that instead of calling myself a gerontologist and a futurist, I am uniquely a gerofuturist because what I've done, I can talk to you about the future all you want, especially the future of aging for sure, and in business. But what I love is looking at the future of women and the future of aging and future of the business of aging. And so it made sense since I had my feet and arms and head and toes in every different place that if I put those two together. I could create a new field within a field, within two fields, actually. And that's what I've done. So being a general futurist is studying adult development and aging for, in my case, especially for women. But it's really around who are we when we are 40 plus? Who are we as we move through midlife, menopause, which is really new in the amount of numbers of women coming through and and going through menopause? right? All the way through elderhood. So the futurist part of me looks at what are the emerging trends? What are the possible scenarios or options, I call them stories as well, that we might look at and prepare for as we look ahead? So it's used in business. It's, it's used in, in individual lives. It's used, uh, it's just used in everything. It's just a whole nother way of looking at what's ahead. Um, and for me, of course, I apply it to especially women leadership, women entrepreneurs, and who we're going to be as also as what will the world look like that we're going to try to lead in. That's how the Gero Futuring came up. And in fact, I'm in the mix right now. It's under wraps. But I'm designing a certification program. And one advanced section of that will be to certify people as Gero Futurists mm. so, because I know that's where the future is.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. And uh so you know, what is it 30,000 baby boomers a day are reaching retirement age, I think, until the year 2030. So, yeah, it's a <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of people who are um who are going to be thinking about what does the future hold? I think that's brilliant. Exactly. Exactly. And it's actually 10,000 a day people. Oh, 10,000 right? a day. Yeah, 10,000 a
1: day. Yep.
0: I don't know where I got 30,000.
1: <laughs> well, it's right. It's, it, people throw out different figures because sometimes they use um, age 50. Sometimes they use age 60 when they're trying to throw around the numbers. And so it gets, oh. it gets confusing. Even for me, it gets confusing. But the exciting part, just to add that on to what you're saying, is that one in four of us living today will live to 90, mm-hmm. and some of us will live to 105. Wow. The max, the max, biologically, it's assumed to be uh, 114. But there have been actually a woman um, in the U.S., her name was Frances, I don't remember where, but in 1992 she passed, and she passed at 122.
0: 122? Yes. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Was she at good health? Exactly.
1: Yes. And tom- not tomorrow, when is it? On the 5th, I'm meeting um, again with the woman I adore. Who's a mover and shaker to this day at 101? Goes to her her. office. Yeah, she goes to her office in Manhattan every single day, and she's impacting leaders all over the world.
0: Oh, you know, know, I know, I know. We all aspire to that, you know, to live a long life, a long healthy life, right, and to really create an impact while we're doing it. We do. And
1: there are some realities to that. Um, some of the sad realities is that one in five women over the age of 65 are living alone and in poverty. Mm. So we have some we have some things ahead of us that we have to look at. Um, 87 percent of elderly women are living in poverty today. So that's that's a lot of women. And that so is a we lot all of women. want to, Yeah, We all have to be aware of it, so we stop being afraid about making big bucks, and we also have to avoid it (laughs) and make sure we're prepared for it. Yeah, yeah. The fun thing about longevity is to realize that over the adult lifespan, we've added like around 30 years across our lifespan. You know, it's it's mostly adding years into our midlife and elder life, obviously. Um, So we really have a lot going on, and we have, I think we're going to have eight to 10 different Uh, careers, if not positions, if you stay in one career, which is highly unlikely today.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's it's
1: a very exciting time. Very exciting.
0: It is a very exciting time. And this is the first time that I've heard the term longevity economy. Uh Aha, it's my happiest (laughs) <laughs> what is that? Tell me about that. You've already told me, I think. I'm, it's starting to make sense to me, but tell me some more right. about well,
1: is, I'll give you the what that means. Really? Yeah, I didn't make it up. I wish I had. But AARP, I believe, are the ones that termed it in a study that they had done several years ago now. Um, but what it really means is it's a, it's, it's a milestone in our economy. But it's the sum, longevity economy refers to the sum of all economic activity, anything that relates to serving the needs of the 50 plus demographic. Oh,
0: okay.
1: So it's, it's, it's so exciting because right now in 2017, that economic activity for that demographic and above is now at $7.1 trillion. That's great. But by 2032, which is not that far away now, that will rise to at least Thirteen point five trillion.
0: So it's doubling, much like it's our doubling. healthcare premium.
1: premiums. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, maybe we'll be able to change that, or at least uh, have enough I hope money so. to pay for it. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm joking about it, but it's it's brutal to even think about it. But so the, the exciting part of this is that we have 106 million people over the age of 50 today, and they spend annually 83 percent of all consumer purchases. Really? So anyone, yes, so anyone, I'll repeat that, 83% of all consumer purchases. So not paying attention to this is leaving money on the table. Not paying attention to this is putting you in the backdraft.
0: You know, that surprises me because, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but uh, what does surprise me is that still, you know, for... um Mainstream marketing type, you know, TV shows Mm -hmm. and that and that kind of thing. The demographic is eighteen to twenty-five, right? That's who they target, and they're completely ignoring the older segment of the population because I I don't know why. I don't. I don't know why they think those people have more money
1: (laughs) than people who are older. So, what I did is, um, I know you're going to ask about the book later, but I wrote a book to uh, the ageless way. And it came out last uh, end of last November in two thousand and sixteen. By the way, it just hit number one um a week ago. So hey, I am on, on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. That's that is my groundbreaking book. That is my life's work to date. It won't be my last, but it is definitely my major work. Um, but in it I wanted to tell the story and uh, that we ex- that we have now about aging and ageism, especially for women. Um and then illuminate and show women, especially, what the future looks like for us. It is so darn exciting. I am so hyped on it. So, and a piece of it, a cha- two chapters in it, actually, I um, are on the topic of what you asked, what's going on in the business world, and why mm-hmm. isn't the business world paying attention? Um, so what I also did last March, I um, published a small version, what I call one of my mini-books, um, because I knew that there were so many um warriors, you know, road warriors, and moms and dads on the go who don't have time to read a book, or they think so. They will read a book after they read the small book. But nevertheless, so I spun out a small book called Gray is the New Green. Yeah. And yeah, and I wrote it, and, and the subtitle is to, uh, about rocking new revenues, because I knew that the business world was not getting it. They were still stuck to the 18 to 25 market. Um, And that 18 to 25 market will be explosive when they're no longer 18 to 25. You know, we're talking about millennials who are, well, you know, early 30s and back, but, right. but they, they don't have the money now. So that's not where the action really is. It's, it's training them in behavioral and in purchasing, uh, behaviors rather, but it's not where the money is. So the reason that we see both in marketing and in sales and in media and in, in every, in every sector, a paucity of attention being paid to people who are midlife and beyond or let's say 35 and up. Right. Because most of the buyers and the programming people and the media buyers are all under 35, typically under 30. Okay, and nothing wrong with that. I mean, they they have tremendous creativity and a new view on things, but they're putting their blinders on and only going to the age group. They understand and the age group that traditionally was where the market was and where the money was. It's not there now. It's as I just explained. You know, we're talking about going up to 13.5 trillion and maybe much more. That's where it is. So I wrote this book to wake them up, both entrepreneurs, especially women entrepreneurs, but also leaders in corporations, whether they're in marketing or sales or product development, doesn't really matter, um, to get them to see what the humongous potential was that they were missing. Um, and I seem to be breaking through. I just, uh, published, uh, when did that come out? That came out. In, I think it was early April in a prestigious leadership journal. That's a global journal. I was so, um, I was so excited to be in it to tell you the truth. It's so wonderful. Um, but anyway, it's for the leaders of, uh, nonprofits and for-profits around the globe. And I was able to, they asked me, they invited to me and I, I wrote something and they accepted it, obviously. But it's on just this topic to wake up leadership, leadership, wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is where you need to be. And that book will do it in in short form. It's it's an easy read. You can read it on an airplane. Um, So that was to wake that audience up. And the reason I'm so excited about entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurial women, which is Also, where the action is, is for me, when people ask me, what's your target market? It's so hard to describe this because in reality, the heart, the sweet spot of my market are, yes, women entrepreneurs and leaders who are in the aging space or Mm -hmm. need to get into the aging space. So... (laughs) You know, so I'm kicking and and, and pushing, you know, anybody that's in in business or wants to be, that the business of aging is the place to be. Um, But it's a very important area, and it's something I am very passionate about speaking to, and especially when I think of the women. uh, I'm around a lot of entrepreneurial women. I think we're both in an entrepreneurial association together, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. you? Yeah, so right there I am. It's even there, it's like pulling teeth to wake women up.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it because, yeah. because it goes against everything that we've been taught, right? That the demographic yeah, exactly. really is the younger generation.
1: It does. So, and yes. It is one piece that we don't have time to go into, but let me just mention it and then you can cut me off. It's also <laughs> due. It's even worse in us than it is in the kids. Kids, excuse me, excuse me, millennials. I don't mean to call you that, but I have grandkids, so it's easier for me to call you kids. But... It's worse in women, because our introjected ageism, just like the women I described in my coaching session, yes, is, is is holding us back from this and keeping us not fully ex- uh, um, embracing and experiencing and stepping into, <laughs> here I come, of course, I apologize, our greatness, because of what's going on inside about we're not, we're too old. We're not, we're, we're too young,
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: whatever. But it's that ageism inside that we have to break down. It's yeah, no, society. it's
0: absolutely true. But it's interesting when you were talking about, um, she felt like she was too old at, I think you said she was 47. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I always felt like I was too young until I reached a certain age. Like people didn't take me seriously because mm-hmm. I didn't have enough experience and enough, exactly. you know, wrinkles maybe exactly. uh, to really exactly. speak as an expert.
1: Exactly, and I hear you, and that's why the second chapter in the Ageless Way is called Agelessness Across Generations, because we come on this planet and we start aging. So we're told we're too young all the way until we're in our you know mid forties, if, if we're lucky, right? And then we're too old because and then we're too right? old. Yeah, yeah
0: because right <laughs> you missed that now, nanosecond when you were exactly the right age.
1: <laughs> exactly, and that keeps shifting because it used to be. Well, back in the sixties, obviously the old mantra was, you know, don't trust anybody over thirty. So yeah. but that that continued. So that thirty was considered over the hill. Now it's forty. And I'm sure as we live into our hundreds, that will go up again. But over the uh, hill, forty is the new today. 50, right? <laughs> yeah, it's still forty. Right now, corporate America and there are stats on it, will tell you over the hill is forty. Mm. And these are coming and, from people who are over the over 40.
0: Yeah. Well, corporate America as you mentioned has some uh has some it has thinking some you know. up to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, your latest book is called The Greatness Challenge: A Manifesto for Visionaries. Who should read this book? Actually,
1: everyone. Um,
0: well, I wouldn't say kids so much at this point,
1: but I would certainly say high school kids, college kids, and adults, and all adults thereof, you know, thereafter, whether any age, really. Um, Entrepreneurs, leaders, employees, professionals, it doesn't really matter what your backstory is or, uh, you know, or what ethnicity, religion, whatever, all of that is not important in in what I'm talking about. And gender as well um, is not important. So it's really about who we are, what matters, and what our core values are. So when I talk about visionaries, I believe that we all have a visionary archetype within us, and we have to just tap into it, as I did with this woman I had described in in my coaching session and, and many others, obviously, because it's there. It's residing in us, and we've been taught to suppress it. Or, in mm-hmm. fact, to deny it even exists, for that matter. So the manifesto for visionaries are clearly people who are movers and shakers, who are wanting to make a positive difference and change the world in some way that they envision, for sure. And definitely leaders um, and audacious and ones at that. But it's also for everyone. And... You know, the reason I brought this out, it just came out in uh, May, May 23rd, and it too reached number one on its release date, so thank you very much. I'm so excited. Um, because of what's going on, because of the turmoil, the chaos, the mass confusion, no matter how you see things, whether you're a populist or not, all around the globe, for sure, of course, where my heart is is, is the United States, and so... I knew back in the fall, I had written a bunch of this book um, uh, back in 2001, uh, again, for a whole lot of reasons, and I decided to hold off bringing it out. I just, I, instinct, whatever, right, or intuition, and I just, it came back to me uh, after the last summer, and I said, I just, I didn't feel good about what was going on, and I, I can't tell I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, futurists don't have crystal balls, by the way. We don't read tea leaves either. <laughs> so, but I had this. Some people think so. But I had this sense. And as I watched things unfolding as we moved towards you know, November, was, oh, my God. If I'm shook up about what's going on, if I'm needing something you know, to keep me centered and, 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 and in my groove with all of the dissipative structures falling apart around me, okay, so does everybody else. It's time. So, I rewrote the book in essence um, and brought it up to today's times and brought it out. And obviously, I was correct because I felt we all needed something, even if we're already powerhouses, even if we're sacred activists out in the world, right? Or conscious entrepreneurs, we still need something to hold on to. So, you know, it's not a Bible, but it is a manifesto in the sense of come back to center. This is what our greatness is about. This is why you're here now at this time in this place with these people and these issues. There's a reason Mm -hmm. for that. I, I believe that so strongly, so, so deeply in my bones. And so I want to support that and the rising up in within us, that visionary that needs to come forward now more than ever before. We need leadership and we need visionary leadership more than ever, ever before across the globe. And so that's what this book was for. Now, who will groove on it the most? Yes, people who are wanting to be in a leadership position, whether they're in politics or an entrepreneurial book, or in corporation or a professional. It doesn't matter. Um, and the feedback I'm getting is that it's doing just that, which is what I wanted it to do for people. Uh, and I hope that spreads because more and more of us need to have that close at hand to come back to. And yeah. what I do in, in all my books, actually, is every chapter, whether it's a mini book or a big book, um, has at the end of each chapter or throughout, depending on which book it is, um, very provocative questions to make it experiential and to take it from reading a book to experiencing a book to having takeaways. And I do that within the Greatness Manifesto as well. Mm
0: -hmm. And I would say that even even people who may not consider themselves visionaries or leaders can could see themselves in this book because you know and and like you were talking about your client earlier i had a client once and i i mentioned to her something about you know that she could be a a leader a thought leader and she was like what (laughs) (laughs) it came as a shock to her and her vision so and and one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up is people think of leaders in very different ways. Mm -hmm. And there are people who have a very negative view of leader and don't want that um, uh, um, label attached to them. Right, yeah. But, But they really are leaders and should be leaders and need to come out you know, and and share their vision and become leaders, because Mm -hmm. like you said, we're all here for a reason for, and and a lot of people are ignoring that. And hopefully by reading your book, they're going to see themselves and take another step forward into that.
1: Thank you for really bringing that up, because it's so critical. Wherever I go to speak, I mean, for, for decades, this is the case. People don't own their own greatness, and they don't own that they have a visionary within, and the two go together, if you claim your 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 visionary, you will step into your greatness. I mean they just go together. um I even believe those two go together when you take on the mantle of agelessness as well. Uh, in fact, it demands it, but um people don't aren't taught that we are all capable of it, that we have this within us it's It's really who we are. I mean, you could be a stay at home mom, and I'd still say you're a visionary. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think of all the women I know, even when I was a stay-at-home mom, you know, and what we did, not only within our families, but within our communities, you know, and then you add on workplace or on business. Oh, my God, it just, you know, it's, it's quintessential. <laughs> but, yeah. yes, we, we do it all the time and we don't own it. And mm-hmm. so when I do talks, and in fact, one of the trucks that I'm taking on the road again is um, uh, Women in the Road Ahead. And it's really about this greatness challenge that women face because I believe, and I know I'm an example of it and only one of very many, um, we're all visionaries with wrinkles once we head into our 40s and 50s and beyond. And we are the ones that have to step forward. You know, the, the, the millennials and the Gen Xers, well, the Gen Xers are already moving into their 40s. So they're, they're facing this now. They, mm-hmm. they need to step into their greatness. But millennials will follow us and they will show us a new way because they have a new view and a new sighting, if you would. Um, but we have to take that on. We are the leaders. We are the visionaries we've all been waiting for. Now, that's why it's so exciting to see women stepping into politics. You know, and saying or and men too, I mean people who would not have considered it before, whether the're Republicans or the Democrats, independents or whatever they are. This is happening now in larger you know and as a wave, if you would, so I think this is all part of the of our taking on ownership of our own visionary, and I do in these talks, I do an exercise which blows people away because they go, Oh, oh." <laughs> That's what you mean. Oh, you know, it's like this whole new realization that, yeah, yeah, I'm just mirroring them. I don't have something they don't have. No, I'm just older, but I don't have anything they
0: don't have within. It's the same. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. I mean, you and know, you, I, just, I
0: think, you just said I, I something just that, uh, yes. that, that right. gave me chills when you said, we oh, are okay. the visionaries that we've been waiting for. Like people are looking outside of themselves for something that they may have within them that we're all waiting for them to step up to.
1: And we need them to. We need all of us to at this point, which is why, by the way, I wrote a book, uh, came out in 2014 called Visionaries Have Wrinkles. Um, Again, oh, that because it came out of that that, uh, coaching session, because that voice, that patriarchal voice had told her that you can't be a visionary with wrinkles. And so when this book came out of me, I, laid, I called it that, Visionaries um, Have Wrinkles. And because, we, because it, we're, let's see, how do I want to say this? We're not better than younger people. We've just lived enough failures, mistakes, and successes <laughs> and ships that we have honed and owned more of us at least, mm-hmm. are, are in a visionary. And hopefully that will grow further and further. And so we are visionaries with our wrinkles. You know, so when a 35-year-old or a 46-year-old tells me, you know, that they're to, oh, give it a break. This is exactly, <laughs> you now, right? You now have the expertise and experience. You have, you have gained wisdom. That's not a silly word that we throw on old people. That's an earned wisdom. You yeah. can't be an elder. Not everybody is an elder. Everybody ages and gets old and older, but not everybody's an elder. You have to own that wisdom to become an elder.
0: Mm.
1: And that's a visionary with wrinkles.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. And and you're right. As we get older, we uh, we get more clear, right, about... Mm-hmm. Yeah, about what's important to us, and and that goes back to one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and that you talk about in the book, is the core values, and yeah. uh, that really resonated with me, uh, because my free gift to visitors to my website is a core values worksheet, <laughs> so I, <am laughs> a I have to go with check you. out. By the way, yeah, I have
1: to check yeah. it out.
0: It's so I think critical. we agree that core values yeah. are the foundation, right, on which you build your yeah. life. But I also know that. Um, core values can shift over time as we learn that. more about yeah. ourselves and get yeah. you know more familiar with the world around us and i've had people in my workshops who come in and they say you know i the most profound thing i learned here today was that my core values are not what i thought they were
1: right exactly exactly yeah it's so, and 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 you have to be working with someone, which obviously you are, and clearly I am as well, that understands that and can dig really deep. It's not a head tripper. You know, a lot of people, a lot of coaches will do the head trip on core values. Yes, that's part of it because you, you know, you want to, um, how do I want to say it? You want to work with the consciousness that walks in. (laughs) But the real work is the deep soul work, which really digs through. core values that don't change they may be buried or denied but they're there
0: right right well yeah because mine are in the context of uh creating the right business for the lifestyle that you know your ideal life the life that you Mm -hmm. want to be living and that's a different not really a different set of core values but but it but those are the ones that can Change that, right? Those are the non-negotiables. But you're right; there are some things that are deep within us that Mm -hmm. never change, and that's actually that's the tricky part, though, right? Is you have to understand what is a core value that shouldn't be changed, and what is something that you learned that may not be part of your core values, right? And that that's another whole discussion.
1: (laughs) Exactly, and I bet we'd have a ball with it. Exactly. Exactly. And they always come up. They always show up, especially in the work we do. You know, I'll, I'll I'll recognize it as soon as it starts rearing its head. Okay, that's one that's they've taken in, they've interjected. That has not anything to do with who they are. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I just had a session, um, of, uh, what I call a VIP intensive um, discovery session um, on Sunday um, with someone. Someone I've worked with actually over the last 18 years, every time there's a major... Uh, career shift um, from one company to another or, or major position to another or life change. No, it just is. So it's not like I see her all the time every year, but we work in deep work. Um, and this all came up in terms of her core values, who she is now, and she is in her late 50s. Who is she now? Where is she going? What is she going to do next? What matters to her? What should she say no to or yes to? Where should she live? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. all of these questions are not new questions, but they come up in a different way because we're in a different place in our life or our career. Right. right. Yeah. And core values drives it and separating out. When I first worked, just as an example, when I first worked with this woman, she was in her 20s, um, she could not look me or anyone else straight in the eye. I, I don't really? mean in a confrontational way. I meant in a conversational way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was almost, um, almost invisible in the sense of hiding rather than shifting. <laughs> um, and so who she is today is a is major corporate leader. So, you know, these things, that's what this work does. But you, you have to get people to that place so they can open and own it. And that's what we're both talking about. And that's why some of those values are not ours. And others are the Zora. She was hiding. And, right. and uh, because she was told to be hiding, that she wasn't, a, wasn't someone that should be out in the world, you know, and be seen and heard. Um, obviously, that's not who she is today. But, yeah, so that you can see it. When you work with people long enough, I don't mean long enough as in um, how many decades I've been working. I mean in their life, when you know mm-hmm. them long enough to see the shifts and changes, you can move them through those. Um, and it's amazing to watch. Um, as as I'm sure you have. I mean, you see what's real and what's true to who they are as core values and those that are interjected. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Well, I can relate to your client because I was her in my (laughs) 20s. Oh, so you know. I know what what that's like.
1: Transformation, yeah, major transformation. Yeah. And most women are. I mean, that's how we're told to be. (laughs) Yeah. That's how we're brought up to be is, you know. Yeah, especially in my generation, you know, it was be seen, not heard. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's still within the fabric of our country and in our psychosphere, if you would. Um, but we've broken through it in many cases, in most cases, I hope. But yeah, and there's yes. more work to be done on that. Yeah,
0: there is more work to be done. <laughs> so I want to ask you about your signature greatness DNA. What is that and why
1: is it important now? It's always been important, but it's more important now is that you can't be the visionary that you're meant to be. You can't be the leader. You can't be the successful entrepreneur or mom at home or, or dad parent or whatever unless you can connect to it. Because below those or not below sounds negative, deeper than the core values is that DNA you were brought in for. You you came into this planet you were born here with a whole set of dna i remember i was a science educator and a biologist and whatever so uh, that dna for you i it will never be again it is unique to you and totally different from mine we may have the same number of chromosomes but our dna is different right each Mm -hmm. one it's like the fingerprint um and so for me the DNA of our greatness, in other words, that is who we are. I, we had a major, major fire uh, back in 2001. What a year for everything to uh,
0: collapse. It was a heck of a year, that, wasn't
1: it? <laughs> it was a heck of a year. But mine um, and my husband, our, our, our year started with a major, major fire. Oh. And, um, and that was our, my home office. So I lost a whole lot of stuff. But as as I remember with the flames, you know, up in the smoke and watching everything uh, burn. Um, There was this sense, though, that when it's all gone, when all that material stuff is gone, which, of course, I've reloaded up with over the years, but when all of that's gone, you come to something that I recognized as an educator. Um, I I coined a term called the wounded learner when I was a young teacher and an educator, and it was called the wounded learner because I had been one. I didn't know that I had a genius. I was a wounded learner. I thought I could not learn. I was not good enough and never would be good enough. Of course, that changed tremendously as i grew but um i, I recognized that as an educator, and so I wanted to tap into that untapped potential in kids and bring it out, whether they were called slow learners or fast learners i didn 't care It went across the board, so that was always with me but then and the same thing you know as a leader in terms of the potential of humans. It was always with me, but there was something about that fire and being undressed, if you would, right, stripped, Mm. that I realized that what stays with us, no matter what goes on in our lives, and I've certainly had many crises, that that uniqueness, that unique DNA of who we really, really are to the core, that's our greatness DNA. Mm. And there are so many layers that push it down and 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 take it away we give it away we don't even know we have it most of us we're not taught that we do so it ties with the core values if you haven't tapped into that how can you even begin to discover or recognize your own core values you you can't so the ability to get to that point is by owning that greatness dna it's just like the woman i was talking about earlier again in that same because that's that coaching session was such a turning point for me It was getting her to that visionary
0: part Mm -hmm. of her
1: that she could then, through I mean, this is a process. It's not a one-off. But through that process, she could own that greatness that is uniquely hers. No one can take that from us. Right. No matter how stripped down, no one can take it from us once we know we have it. So it it remained a theme throughout. In fact, it, it themes through every one of my books. It's just that the Greatness Challenge book really focused on greatness, but it, it's throughout my the ageless way mm. um, because it's such an important
0: core theme. Well, I'm definitely going to have to get get that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope you do. I, you will love it. I, I'm sure you will.
0: I, I know you will. Um, so we are we are almost out of time. So I must oh ask, boy. what is one book or resource besides your own? that changed That's your a, life that you it. would recommend to people?
1: Well, you know, um, I thought about this, and I, because it's come up for me recently so beautifully, uh, which we don't have time for the story, but I would pick my earliest feminist book, if you would, a women's book, called Our Body, Ourselves. And it was by the Women's uh, Boston, uh, Boston's Women Health Collective And it was the first book ever written by, for, and about women, about our bodies, about our health, about our lives, about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So that kind of started it all. It was a grassroots book and became, uh, I I don't know if it became global. It probably did, but it certainly was national. It was a major book. And the close second to that would be uh, Betty Friedan, who was another major feminist in our in our history, or her story, was The Fountain of Age, those two books. But I think body Ourselves is the one that I would most say. And they've updated it. Um, I just heard the woman who founded it speak uh, about a week ago. And, no, sorry, two weeks ago. And um, they've updated They even have a book on menopause, which I used to teach courses on, by the way. And uh, I'm so excited about it, because the confluence of sexism and um um uh, and ageism are, are now conflated unfortunately
0: mm-hmm.
1: so a book like that and the work they did and women going through menopause in the, in the enormous numbers that are going through i went through very early so i i that's why i started teaching about it many years ago but um it, it's going to have a major impact so books like this and, and efforts like this are so important for women to know about we we can't we can't lose each other in this movement because there are so, we are in such the right place at the right time, no matter what it looks like right now. Don't worry about it. It's only a blip. Truly. Um, mm-hmm. and, the, and, and what's coming for us as wise women, older, wild, wise women is very real.
0: Very, very real. I like it. Sounds like something to look <laughs> forward to. I hope so. <laughs> so if people want to learn more about you, your work, and your vision, where can they do that? Well, a whole bunch of places. For instance,
1: my website, which is just my name, so it's easy. Karen Sands, like the beach, S-A-N-D-S dot com. I have such a New York accent, so I want to clear that up. Karen dot com. And my blog is there. It's called the Ageless Beat blog and newsletter for that matter, and they're on the site so you can find out all about that. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm all over the place. Um, But I also, because of the Greatness Challenge that we've been talking about, I started a closed group called the Greatness Challenge Facebook Community. And if you email me at karen at karensands.com, karen at karensands.com, I will – we you and invite you in, so do check it out and go on Facebook and just look for the rightness challenge and I will be starting some masterminds uh, by the fall, so I'll be letting people know about those because it's very, very exciting. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to take people on this journey. Um, and let's see where else i'm I'm interviewed, I'm on radio, I'm writing articles, I'm around, and especially you can find me on Amazon. Um,
0: yes, you
1: your books are available up. on Amazon. Oh yeah, yeah, they are definitely Kindle books and print books are on Amazon. Um, not all of the eleven titles, but many of my titles. Um, I'm I'm updating some of my older titles so that I can put them back up, and um, and you can reach me, of course, just by emailing me at karen at karensands dot com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Karen. That was really a fascinating discussion. Karen Sands, That's leading general futurist for the longevity economy. Thank you so much. It was great fun. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. I'll be putting links to Karen's books as well as her recommendations on my website, firstclasslifesolutions.com. Look for the resources tab. And while you're there, why not download your core values worksheet? Next week, my guest will be Mariana Matthews. While the world of professional hypnotists is dominated by men, a colorful and dynamic woman has been making her mark, entertaining with creative, iconic hypnosis shows. Mariana Matthews, also known as That Lady Hypnotist, has established a stellar reputation for entertaining a variety of audiences at corporate events, holiday celebrations, charity fundraisers, sober grad nights, and family events. As a licensed hypnotherapist, Mariana has helped clients improve their lives, reaching successful goals by using hypnosis. She has also created a self-help hypnosis series to free oneself from limiting beliefs, feelings, and behaviors to realize endless potential. I hope you'll join us. Until then, here's to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success.